But so we were talking about nature this month. You know, each month we look at a topic to blaze new trails. And you know, and I was thinking about this, um, because you know, the idea of blazing trails can feel like that, you know, that what we're doing is trying to, to um, change ourselves or make ourselves, bring, to bring our thinking into a certain way versus where we've been, as if where we've been is somehow bad or wrong or, or needs to be diminished. And so I was thinking, we're not here to blaze trails in order because of where we're at is wrong, but is there a way that might be more affirming? You know, the light is shining always whether we are aware of it or not. Our lack of awareness does not dim the light. It may dim our experience of it. And so us blazing new trails, doesn't, it isn't that, that the light isn't shining, that our life isn't good, but is there, is, is there an opportunity for us to see more light in our lives, to be a channel of that light? And so each month we're just exploring where we're at and then to gently consider, is there light that's wanting to be seen in a new way through our eyes? And so it's been this month about nature. And what we teach in Science of Mind and our philosophy, our fundamental principle is that God is all that there is. There's one life, one power, one presence, one intelligence, this field, that's how I imagine it, this, just this, this field everywhere present. And it's from this that everything emerges. Everything emerges from this, from this divine source. Everything seen, everything unseen is, is within and contained within this one thing called God, this presence, love itself, divine love. And it is this love that made us of itself. You know, when you think about love, unconditional love, is there anywhere where love would not, does not go? Is there anywhere that love is unwilling to, to step into? Love is, is, is ready. And I'm not talking about human quality, you know, a, a conditional love. I'm talking about agape, divine love, love that is unconditional, love that we can only begin to imagine. Because it's, it's even beyond our concept of, of what's possible. But this love, everywhere present, it made us of itself, and so what are we? But also love. We are this love. And this love is seeking to demonstrate in the world through us and as us. And, and here, as we live on this planet, our home, the question for us to consider is, are we living in alignment with that one? Are we living our lives as in harmony with the planet, with nature, with all living beings, are we living in harmony even with ourselves? Are we bringing this love into, into our relationship with ourselves? Because if we truly believe that God is all that there is, then it's up to us to live in a way that reflects that. It's up to us. So this month we've been exploring so that we're not just saying words, but we're also understanding and bringing this love into 
manifestation and to demonstrate, we're demonstrating it as, as it relates to nature. You know, earlier this month, what did we talk about? The beginning, very beginning of this month, we talked about our home, planet Earth, our interdependence on this planet. We're, we, there's, <laughs> without our home, we would not have a place. It would, it, would, it would be a little difficult to walk about without a planet. And then a couple weeks ago, I know, thank you. Thank you very much. That wasn't <laughs> And then two weeks ago, we talked about one of our most vital resources on this planet, water. Water. Every process in our bodies, everything would not happen without, body, um, without water. Life on our planet would not exist, at least in the form that we know it, if water was not here. Water quenches our thirst. And as I said, it plays a part in every process that's going on in our body. And it's also, what does this have to do with spiritual living? I love water as a symbol. You know, we talked about, let me be like water. I want to be like water. Didn't you like that song? <laughs> water as a symbol, as a symbol of spirit, of source of which we're a part. And spirit just as water quenches our thirst, source, spirit, quenches our thirst spiritually. Without it, we thirst. Last week, we took some time to consider all of the amazing creatures on this planet, many of which we've never seen and perhaps never heard of before. And we considered and this is, if you aren't here, I'm just catching you up if you've missed any of these, so you know where we've been and where we're going. We discussed the concepts, the primitive concept of dominion. This idea that here we are on this planet to dominate every other life form <laughs> except ours. And really, it's sort of dominion is anyone, any body that is unlike mine. That is really the philosophy or, or the thought process of dominion. And that's not what we're here to do. If you give it a little thought and recognize that we're all sharing this plan together, at least a much higher thought than dominion, if, if, those, if individuals would give themselves the space to consider it, would be the concept of stewardship. That here we are, we are all on this planet together and for those that are maybe who don't have the ability to care for themselves or maybe impacted by what we do, that we have a responsibility to those that are impacted by our actions, stewardship. But then we also, at the very end, I shared maybe even another way to look at it. Here's another trail to consider, the idea of kinship. Kinship. Stewardship is like this, this belongs to me or is entrusted to my care. And kinship, if we are all expressions of this one life, then the life that is in the dog, the life that is in the whale, the life that is in the trees, maybe even the life, if it is, and there is life in the wind. I'm thinking of our friend Bob Schlosser, who used to talk about he would go and go on walks in nature and he would listen to the wind. He would receive messages from the wind. 
Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. Even Let's just imagine, and I love the, the, the concept of, of life in everything. Everything being in the one. If everything is an expression of the one, then may I embrace all life as my spiritual family. That I am not here to own them or, or to dominate them, but that there's an intelligence in them that is guiding them and leading them, and may we be in harmony with one another as can. Another trail to consider. Today we're exploring nature in a different perspective as it's really as it relates to us as human beings. Beings. Human. Human nature. How is nature expressed as us as human beings? We are intelligent, we're social, we're creative, we're capable, and then there are also times in human nature we can find evidence of unconsciousness. We can find destruction, and, and we can also find humans showing up as biased and selfish. Not anyone here, of course, but <laughs> the question today is what makes humans behave and show up in the way that they do? That's an interesting point to consider. I mean, is it our genes? Is it nature at the, at the points of, of, of our biology? Is it this that is determining whether we become doctors or lawyers or movie stars? <laughs> Are we predestined to a particular life as some believe? Or, or is it that we determine our own destiny as others believe? Do we have a choice in how we turn out? Human nature, that's what we're considering today. What makes us tick and how to make the most of the gift of the human experience? Now what do we mean or what do, what do I mean when I say human nature? Human nature. Well, it's actually a little controversial term these days, human nature. Human nature refers to the fundamental uh, dispositions and psychological, psychological characteristics we have as human beings, shared by human beings, and they show up by the way that we think, by the way that we feel, by the way that we act. So our behaviors, our behaviors, and the characteristics that we share with one another, how those are demonstrated is what is usually referred to as human nature. And why this is now, you know, human nature, I guess, is it's what is uniquely human, the essence of being human. I'm touching the essence, if you're wondering what I'm doing with my fingers up here. I'm not playing the smallest violin. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm trying to touch what can't be touched, the essence of, of humanity, that which is unique to us, to humankind. But some will dispute as to whether really such an essence exists. Is there something that makes us uniquely human that, oh, that other forms of life don't have access to? And that's what is what to consider. Do you see, even before I get started in this, the idea that that we have a nature that is separate than every other form of life then keeps us in a place of what? Separation. They can't know me, I can, cannot know that because we are separate, we are different. 
Dr. Holmes writes in The Science of Mind, he says, there is that within every individual which partakes of the nature of the universal wholeness, there is that, I'm reading the first sentence again, there is that within every individual, within each one of us, there is this thing that partakes of the nature of the universal wholeness, and in so far as it operates, is God. So there's this thing in us that, that is part of this universal wholeness, and that thing is God. That is the meaning of the word Emmanuel, the meaning of the word Christ. This will be, those of you who had a Christian um, upbringing or indoctrination, those phrases would have special relevance or meaning to you, Emmanuel. Christ. These are terms that in traditional mainstream Christianity, they relegate to one individual, which is different than how we see, see it. We believe that Jesus was, was an example, not an exception. So the meaning of the word Emmanuel, the word Christ, is that which is within us that partakes of the nature of the divine being. And since it partakes of the nature of the divine being, we are divine. We are divine. So as we read here, what Dr. Holmes proposes and puts forward, there's that within us that partakes of the nature of the divine, and as a result of that, we are also divine. Now this may sound a little different because there is this emphasis, emphasis where, where sometimes we draw a duality, in our, even in our conversations, we'll say, well, my humanity, my divinity, my human, oh, this is my humanness, and this is my divine self. I don't know if Holmes really puts that forward. Because we are divine. This is an inherent quality in all of us, but it may not always be acknowledged. It may not be always felt. It may not be consciously realized. And we may not demonstrate it as such. But does that mean that we are lacking in that? Those individuals who don't show up in all of their divinity, does that make them any less divine? Just because they don't, aren't showing up in the way that we expect divinity to? I mean, we don't always witness it demonstrated, even in ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm, I'm not alone here. Yeah, there are times where, and this is maybe why we fall back on, it's like, oh, my humanity's showing. <laughs> it's just me being me. It's where I'm at, right here in this day, in this moment. But in order for us to consciously stretch and to rise above that which might be um, more natural for us, it takes practice. And that's part of the reason why we come together. Because we know that there's a better way. We know there is a better way. We know that there's another way to demonstrate ourselves and to be even, I would say, even more human. I say when a human is loving, if I am loving, then to me that is just, oh, I'm really letting all of myself being seen. To me, when people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that's, my divine self versus my human self, 
oh, that's to make my human self as something less than. And I say, when I'm fully demonstrating my divinity, then I'm really fully expressing my humanity. That's a freebie if you're taking notes. That was a good one. That's not even in mine. <laughs> so how we demonstrate our divinity or our humanity then is through our behavior. That's how we see evidence. This is the demonstration. You know, there are times, you know, I was talking to someone just this week and I said, you know, I, there are times where I'm so, oh, I'm tired of carrying a sword and shield. to defend or to attack. Sometimes that gets exhausting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then why am I demonstrating that? The sword or the shield? Why am I demonstrating that? Because that's where my, con that's, my behavior shows what I'm actually holding in mind at that point. But it's up to me to practice something different. It's for, my be for me to show up differently. So what is human behavior? Human behavior refers to the way that we act or react to other persons, situations, and our surroundings. It's how we express ourselves. Now, it's commonly believed that the more complex a, a nervous system that an organism has, then the, the more complex their behavior can be in response to what's going on around them. Does that make sense? You know, so, so human beings, this is why we may think we're at the top of the, top of the, 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 um, the pyramid, if there is such a thing, of, of living beings, is because, I mean, I would say there's a bigger, there's something even greater as far as living beings than us, the planet itself. How about that, just knocking us off the top of the pyramid? Mm. But in our humanness, because of our nervous systems being as complex as they are, we're able to adapt and make changes. And those that may not have as complex nervous systems, this is what they actually would say, maybe they are more bound by instinct. But it doesn't mean that there is an intelligence there. Our behavior is the computed response within us to stimuli and inputs whether it's internal or external, whether it is conscious or unconscious, whether it is covert or overt, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Our behavior is a response from something inside of us. And we will show up differently depending on what the criteria is. If something's harmful, do you think we're gonna be looking <laughs> If, if, if our lives are in threat, we may, not be, we may not be aware that we're hungry at the time. Our lives are, you know, there's a threat to our lives in some way, shape, or form. Harm is around us. We're not sitting there going, oh, you know, what, do I, what am I going to have for dinner? <laughs> our behavior, our reactions, our responses are to these stimuli. But if we believe that we're safe, then we're open to exploring new things. We're open to new things. The same holds true if we look at our beliefs about ourselves and others. When an individual's basic needs are met, they are open to new possibilities. This is an important thing. When you know, Einstein said probably the most important question for us to consider or to decide on is whether we live in a friendly universe or not. 
And I'll tell you, that alone will make a difference in the way that you show up, in your behavior. That question alone, am I safe or unsafe, will affect how you show up, how you interpret what is showing up in your life. There are many times I get a text or an email where I have to pause and go, living in a friendly universe with nothing and no one against me, what do I say to this? If I really believe that this person means me no, no ill will, or they're you know not being a jerk, they're just this, they're just that's their mo, and they're just being them. You do you, honey. Whether I feel safe or not is going to affect how I respond. Is that my behavior is affected by stimuli? So what determines our the demonstration of our behavior? What determines that then? You know, this is a question that philosophers, theologians, and, and scientists have been pondering from the very beginning of time since we first awoke to self-awareness, or have, when we became aware of ourselves that, oh, there is an other and there is me. How do I relate to this? From, from that very moment, human beings have been asking themselves, so, so what is it? What is it? What affects me in this way? Now, from the psychological perspective, there's many numerous views on human behavior. And usually, this, I have a slide here. You'll see here that the, it goes from nature to nurture. How many of you heard of this? The question, nature or nurture? Well, you know what? <laughs> Theologians and philosophers and, and scientists are still going on about that. And as science reveals new things, then it shifts and changes. I mean, at one point in time, you know, who's the guy? Who was the guy? Um, Albert, the, I think, therefore, I am. Was it Descartes? Descartes. 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 I was the D-E-S. I always mess it up. So Descartes. I wanted to hear someone else say it first. So um, he actually believed about animals that he believed that animals were totally driven by instinct, that they had no conscious thought, that even if they were um, dissecting them alive and the noises that these animals made were conditioned responses. This is the one who said, I think, therefore I am. Look at me, how special I am. I can think, oh, these living beings, they are not thinking. You see, there's opportunities for new trails for all of us. But here even psychology, whether it's biology or genetics or whether it's, it's totally nurtured by itself. You know, from the human perspective of our biology and genetics, so because maybe our behavior is determined by biology, there are those who believe that nature dictates who we become. And I don't know, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think that that's the case. I don't believe it's nature that solely determines who we are as human beings. That's, I'm giving you the spoiler right now. Because our genes, our genes make up, you know, our DNA, the DNA in our genes, we share with everyone here about 99.9%. We have the same, same um, DNA as everyone else here in the room. And look how different each and every one of us are. And guess what? We show up differently, don't we? Some of you, I was watching John up here singing and smiling. 
I don't know if that would have been me, you know, so smiling. So he was just smiling, so inviting. Why does he show up differently than someone else? Is it, oh, maybe it's his, his genetic. We share the same, the same <coughs> genes. These common genetic structures, just because we share the same genes, what that means is that we have a variety of behaviors that are unique to us that share these genes. So a species that shares genes or DNA, they have similar behaviors. What do birds do? They fly, but also a behavior that they do, they build nests. They build nests, right? Birds build nests. Well, why doesn't a dog build a nest? Now Luna, my little Luna at home, I think she does build a little nest. Um, <laughs> But you know, birds build nests, dogs have a loyalty and, and this, this uh, a unique relationship to, with human beings. They, humans, our, uh, in our DNA, it is our instinct to communicate, to try to understand and to verbally uh, communicate with one another. That's a, a uniquely human, or at least the way that we communicate is is part of our DNA, but the strength of different traits and behaviors varies within species. So even within species, there's variety. Rabbits, as prey animals, are fearful. But you know, some rabbits are more fearful than others. What makes that? Some dogs are more loyal than others. I know this from experience, that little Luna. <laughs> Oh, she's got a mind of her own. And some humans learn to speak better than others. They're able to communicate better. Now, these variances are determined in part, smallly, small part, by genetics. But our genetics really has to do with our physicality. You know, our sex, our ethnicity, our appearances. Now, what about personality? So we've got behavior, and behavior is not dictated by genetics. There's something else. Well, what about personality? Now, personality in humans are, is, is the amalgamation of qualities and characteristics that define that person. And scientists have determined that it isn't genes that determines our personality. There is no IQ gene. There's no good marriage partner gene, even though some would believe that, because all the good ones are taken, and I just haven't found the right one. That's what some would say. And even working together, genes are not so powerful that they can control the personality. Some genes increase certain characteristics, others work to decrease characteristics, and so there's a complex relationship with, with, between them. But let me go right to what Holmes says. Because, you know, if it was just our genes, then we would be bound by that. Um, if our personality was regulated by it, if our interests were, you know, those who are born to, to whose parents may be artists or scientists, artists and scientists, or even athletes may have children who may not follow in their path. To their, you know, oh, what did I do wrong? But what does Dr. Holmes say? Dr. Holmes says that although human beings are inherently a perfect idea, their individuality covers this idea 
with the forms of thought which they imagine. What is it? Forms of thought. What covers that perfect idea? Forms of thought. And as religious scientists, this is what we would say is the, the determining factor on who and how we show up as human beings, but what we think, what we believe, by what's going on in here, what we contemplate. If we want to know what we believe, we can know what we believe. We can know what we believe based on what we are, our, what vibration or energy, what we're putting out there into the world and by where we're hanging out where we're spending our time, where we like to hang out. This can give us some indications of what we believe about ourselves. Genetics plays a part in our personality and our behavior. Environment does play a part. But even greater than that is what we believe about ourselves. Holmes offers us to consider that it's our thoughts and beliefs about ourselves and others that it is these that become the lenses by which the light that is our life shines through. That's how I like to imagine it, that, that there is sort of like, if you imagine all living beings, like a, a beautiful stained glass, you know, like a, a, a window, a stained glass window with all of this beautiful stained glass. And the light is shining through this stained glass. And the light that is shining through is common to all living beings. But their uniqueness, their uniqueness is what allows the light that is shining through to show up differently. You know, here through this pandemic, we've seen how beliefs shape behavior. We can look at different countries and how they have shown up differently during the pandemic and see how beliefs definitely affected behavior. For example, in Norway, Norway, there is a belief that's that individual, that the, that's the good of the many outweigh the good of the individual. So working together during the lockdown, Everyone did their part and as they believed and worked together, not for the individual, but for the whole. And, and that country had less than 800 deaths through the pandemic. While their neighbor, Sweden, right next door, had a different view and they went about business as usual. Yeah, there's, there's a pandemic, but our belief is different, which caused them to show up differently. Their behavior as business as usual and just, you know, you're going to hang out with who you're going to hang out with. 800 in Norway and over 14,000 who passed in Sweden. What was the factor that caused them to show up differently? Was it their genetics? No. Was it, was it their, it, it was their beliefs. And it is this that causes how we show up. We see that our behavior and how we show up as human beings impacts the planet and those around us. And it's vital. We're a center for spiritual living. Our vision is a world that works for everyone. And in order for us to have that, then we have to have a belief that it is possible for a world that works. Or else why would we even try? Why would we even try to make a difference? 
And so if we believe that it's possible to create a world that works for everyone, then is it possible for us to create a world that works for us? And if so, then how can we do that? And this is why it's vital for us to reflect on what it is that we're believing that's allowing this divinity, this divine nature that is ours to express in the way that it can and it will. The Dalai Lama said this, I wanna close with this. He said, love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. How many of you believe that to be true? Genetics is not what determines whether love and compassion is shared. Our DNA isn't what does that. Even the households that we grew up in in our environments it is not what determines whether we are loving and compassionate. It's what we believe about ourselves. It's what we believe about life. It's what we believe what is possible. And so it's important if we are going to be and create a world that works, to be loving and compassion, then we need to bring our thoughts in alignment with that truth. May we raise the vibration of all nature by allowing the divine as love, as us, touch all of nature through us. Here's an affirmation to work with this week. I am of the divine being. My true nature is divine. Just repeat that with me. I am of the divine being. My true nature is divine. One more time. I am of the divine being. My true nature is divine. And so it is. Peace and love, everyone. Namaste.